setting up tables and creating hospitality. It's people praying. It's people inviting people. On a given thing, I was actually thinking when you, you posed this question earlier this week, I was thinking, I was trying to come up with an example, but I was thinking um, countryside with the um, steak, steak fry for the guys steak that you out. do. Exactly. Yeah. Per perfect idea, right? All these guys are participating. There's people putting on events. There's people doing all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, it's really one guy that stands up and in 15 or 20 minutes shares the gospel. But every one of those people are participating. You know, it's like going to war or ships going over to another country, right? There's somebody that's got to be cleaning toilets, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense in which these commands are corporate. We are all to participate and have a heart for it. Um, and at the same time, we've been called individually to be witnesses, which could take on different shades and different flavors and different times and places, right? And that's, you know, we always have to be checking our hearts. So I think Last week, Stephen was challenging all of our hearts, you know, do we do this because we say it's just not strategic or it's not a good time or we shouldn't or are we doing this because we're just not obedient, you know, and yeah. that's an internal check that everybody's going to have to have because, you know, one of the things I think about in this is you think it internationally, you know a biblical truth, I mean, there's other ways to know, but you know a biblical truth when you can take that truth and you could say it anywhere in the world and it's true for those same people. But the reality is, is application can be different. There are places in the world you can't be as open as we can, right? And those Christians have to figure that out. How do I be obedient in this? How do I be, you know, shrewd and wise and yet be a witness? And that, that's going to be different for each one of us. So I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I think about um, we've been studying through Philippians. And Paul is talking to this church hundreds of miles away and says that they're partners in the gospel and that a huge way that they partnered was through their giving. When nobody else would give, they would give. And so just thinking through, like there is a group aspect in which we are partnered together, um, which we labor together. It's not merely individual, but a group is a group of individuals. And so choosing whatever that looks like um, to participate is still a decision to say, this is the priority and I'm going to get involved in this way. And I think it is absolutely a both and. Yeah, I think both, we see both in scripture that we individually are called to respond when those opportunities are present. And, yeah. But also we, we partner together for this mission yeah. that we're all called to be a part of. So I, th I agree, it's both and. I would just add one thing to that that I'm enjoying uh, here at Redemption Hill that um, is trying to be created here. And we talked about it, I, I mentioned in one Sunday school class, is the idea of creating uh, an evangelistic culture. Mm -hmm. within a church like we're always thinking this way which includes our prayer and our desires and our abilities and some are going to be better at say apologetics and some are just going to be better at inviting people right mm -hmm. so developing that culture and that mindset and that heart is really what it's about I mean that's what pleases God right yes. like I may not always make the right decision or however that works but I think that's what we want to create right absolutely yeah, I would just say a amen to what both of them are saying and so here here's maybe what that looks like for you guys um, you all have different gifts. You all have different opportunities, different personalities, different relationships, access to different pockets of people, whether it be at, at your work or in your neighborhood or in your extended family or um, on your slow-pitch softball team or whatever it may be. We all have access to these different groups. So I think a good question we shall ask ourselves is, what am I doing to, to be personally obedient to spread the message of the gospel? And just think individually. Um, what am I doing to share Christ and convey the gospel? And we've been trying to help equip you to give biblical um, information about what the gospel is, to give examples from Scripture, 
about what that could look like to touch on the key points that must be communicated to try to equip you to talk to your friend, your neighbor, your coworker about Jesus. But I think a good second question to ask would be, how can I help the church collectively be a witness for Christ and share the gospel? So what that may look like, and we've just thrown out even already a few examples. I remember a few years ago, um, I'll point Craig and Lori out because they're up here in the front. They invited their neighbors over um, for, a, for a cookout in the backyard and then also invited other people from church for a couple reasons. That way their neighbors could see what Christian fellowship looks like. But also, your friends from church might be able to have conversations to either reinforce what you guys are already sharing or maybe be able to offer a different insight, a different, a different comment that might strike them. And so you're just thinking, how can we cooperate together to share the gospel? Sometimes that's an event at church, inviting somebody to church. Sometimes that's something you do with others from church to share the gospel. So I think thinking at both levels, and I don't know if I would say it's, it's muddy as much as there's, there's two different angles we can approach evangelism from. Individually, it's a personal responsibility we all have but it's also a corporate project. Um, and, and we all have different gifts. If you think, it's hard for me not to think in, in athletic terms because I like team sports. Um, somebody's going to play quarterback. Somebody else is going to block. Somebody else is running downfield to catch a pass. We all find our different ways to contribute, and, and that's a good thing, which means that the 325-pound lineman, he doesn't have to be able to throw the ball 45 yards. It's really okay. Um, so if you can't do extensive apologetics, that's fine. You don't have to. But there is something that the church needs you to do. What is that? Find it and do it. I think that's the point. We can all find our different ways of contributing yeah. to this overall mission. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks, thanks for those, those insights. Um, here's, I think, one that we've probably all thought about, and maybe you've wrestled with how to answer this. Is, and this is coming a little bit from, from Stephen's message this last week. Stephen, you talked about a lot of excuses, mm-hmm. sinful reasons, why we don't share the gospel. And I think all of us need to look through those, those points you gave. You, you sort of categorize them into, into several different categories and say, am I guilty of making excuses for not sharing the gospel? Because there, there are times where we're just being disobedient. But that brings up a, a, another question. Is it always sinful to not share the gospel. And there's a number of sinful reasons why we might you know, miss an opportunity. But is it always sinful to not share the gospel? Is it ever appropriate to decline to go into detail about Christ? Is it ever appropriate to wait and to not give the message of the gospel? Or would you say it always falls into that category of sinful excuses? How would you answer that? Yeah, I would say that um, not every breath, every... Um, meeting every instance is an opportunity. So it's not that it has to be every single thing. And I think a big part of that was really just trying to address the sinful ones that come up in our hearts that we try to use to excuse what is a valid opportunity, but just recognizing that um, it is a heart attitude. So if I'm um, intentionally saying my heart is to share this, but I don't think that it's wise in this moment, um, but I'm not saying I'm afraid or um, I'm, I'm risking something. Like if there's a fear factor or um, you can look back at some instances, you feel like I wasn't intentional, I wasn't prepared, I wasn't thinking through. That means for me, I, I, not even for me, but I think that when we look at scripture, it's saying that the heart 
is to be present. And that's the heart that needs to be evaluated. And that's where taking a list of excuses out of any sort of context uh, may have sounded like, wow, you know, 100% of the time I need to be evangelizing, that's all I can say. Um, rather than saying, no, we we're just trying to address what are the sinful reasons that we, we actually need to be aware of and sensitive to and allow scripture to speak to those specific instances um, that way we are ready to give an account and eager and saying, my heart is aiming in this direction, and I'm asking the Lord to give me wisdom in every situation, every conversation, um, every opportunity um, that could look like an event or something else that I'm giving my time to or resources to. Um, I want to be wise to say I'm aiming at this direction because we're, we're all part of this one mission, this one um, goal of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And so that's more the heart piece that has to be set, but there's obviously a great conversation that can be had on, on wisdom of how to apply these situations um, as they come up. What do you, you think? Bible open, Dan. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of a number of things. Um, <clears throat> I think, and again, I, I kind of opened it with it, but you answered that great, Stephen, even, you know, clarifying, you know, what the intention of what you were trying to talk about, because people can be really sensitive to that and feel like, ooh, you know, um, we have different personalities. Some of us, you know, are extroverted and some of us are introverted and all that stuff comes into play. But we still always have to be asking our hearts because clearly in the scriptures, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. That's what Jesus said. And that was so pressed through the book of Acts in the early church that um, at one point you could, you could make the case that, you know, they're kind of getting locked down in Jerusalem and God allowed persecution to come to even scatter them. And it says wherever they went, they went and preached, right? Mm -hmm. But they could have been pretty content to stay put. And God says, no, 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 no. And he, he rocked their world. Even that, if you think about it, Christians were losing their lives and there was persecution. We'd, we'd be going, why are you doing this, Lord? And it was all in a sense to get the gospel out. That's how serious getting the gospel out is to God. Mm -hmm. So we have to take that seriously, right? Mm -hmm. But then you go to the scriptures, and again, we, we want to be, be biblical people. And you look at like Acts chapter 4, and here's Peter and John. They're out there preaching. The first few words of chapter 4 says they were speaking. They're speaking the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. And they get in trouble with the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders call them in. And while they call them in, they preach at them again. They, they literally say, Jesus of Nazareth, this one you crucified, they preach. And then I find it interesting because in verse 13 it says, Now as they observe the confidence, there's two things they notice about Peter. First of all, they've been let, listening to these men preach and teach. And they say they have a confidence, so they believe what they believe. They have a confidence when they see the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained. They'd never been trained in theology apparently. They were amazed and began to recognize them having been, been with Jesus. Now that specifically in that context, what did they recognize? They recognized these men had a confidence in knowledge they had been given and they weren't afraid to speak it. Mm -hmm. That's clear there. That's, that's what that's about. That's what these, these leaders see. These are uneducated men and yet they know this knowledge. Where'd this come from? You know, this is what Jesus was saying. And at the same time, you turn over to First uh, uh, Peter. Let me go over here real quick for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, and it's interesting, because it's talking about honoring authority. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, this is chapter 2, to every human institution, kings and authorities. And it's talking about a submission of us to those above us, and there's a sense in which that's an example. And he goes on and says, Christ is our example. Some of these leaders are going to treat you well, some are not going to treat you well. But Jesus is our example, how we are to respond to those above us, say employers or our government. And at the same time, then it goes to chapter 3, and it says, In the same way, you wives, 
So in the same way of doing it like Jesus did it, submitting, honoring, um, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, in other words, apparently they hear the word through their wife somewhere along the line, but they're disobedient, they don't want to respond to it, what do they, what's they say? That they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. So in that case, God's word is saying there's something about the way you do behave and act that is part of your witness, especially to a wife, to a husband, right? And so... The point is, is yes, we're supposed to preach and teach, as you said. We're supposed to share the gospel, take every opportunity, have our feelers out. And yet there's times we can't, for a variety of reasons, we have to check our own heart. And then we trust that God will use our witness in the way we live. And so, so, so Peter doesn't tell wives, keep sharing the gospel with them until they believe. Yeah. He says, if, if they're, they're disobedient to the word, which means they've heard it. They've heard it, exactly. Once they've heard, he's saying it's okay for these wives Yep. To not preach the gospel verbally, yep. constantly to their husbands. Yep. It's okay to live a life that's persuasive and compelling yep. after that fact. Yeah. Not that they would never bring it up again. Right. But the dominant emphasis there is, is how they live. Yeah. And that's all I'm saying. So you got, again, yeah. it's the two-ditch idea. You, have it, I, you know, these guys are out preaching and teaching and doing it, and, it, and it's obvious to everybody. And then there's other times they clearly hear the word, but they didn't want to respond, so keep living the life the right way before these people. Yeah. And that's what that whole context of First Peter is, is these Christians are under persecution and opposition. How do you respond to this world that doesn't like you? Yeah. And he's saying, in some cases, you just be a good employee. <laughs> you, you actually, in fact, early in, in the early, when you hear the word apologetics, which we've talked about in here, um, the early apologetics in the early church, when you go back, just say past the book of Acts, the first couple centuries, a lot of the apologetics that these apologists were giving we're showing the government that these Christians you're persecuting are actually your best citizens. It's really interesting that the, the demonstration, the defense they were making was about Jesus, but the defense even went beyond it, and it came out of this, hey, you're persecuting the best of your citizens. These people who are Christians are your best. They're not a threat. They're not a yeah. threat, exactly. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. That was the early apologists. That's what it was all about. Yeah. So I think you brought that up in our conversation last week, Stephen. There's something about being a good employee, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, how did you say that? Just our ethics, the way we do things? Just that it's a blessing. When, we, when we're serving our Lord, we're, we're doing it with integrity. Yeah. And seeking to honor the Lord is going to be a blessing in that place where you're at. So, yeah. yeah. I was thinking in terms of answering this question, is it ever appropriate to not share the gospel in a given context? I was thinking about Jesus's ministry in Mark chapter one. Um, he's, he's been in, um, uh, in Galilee, and it says, rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. So basically, Jesus, there's an opportunity right now. There's an opportunity to do miracles, an opportunity to preach, an opportunity to get the message out to these people. Everyone's looking for you, and he's, uh, you can sense that he's concerned that Jesus is doing the wrong thing by going out to a desolate place to pray. And Jesus said to them, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus said, yes, I am about preaching the gospel, but we've already done that here. Mm -hmm. And now it's time to move on and do it somewhere else. Yeah. So I think we can learn from Jesus' example that when the gospel has been proclaimed and preached, um, it's actually okay to move on, 
not because we're checking out of our mission and saying, I've done my job, but because we want to keep doing that mission somewhere else. Um, later on in, in the Gospels, Jesus explains what they are to do if they go into a town and people will not receive them. He says, then wipe the dust off your feet and move on. So I think there will be times, and, and I like the word Stephen used, wisdom. It takes wisdom to discern, is this a moment where I need to press in? Is this a moment to keep speaking? Or is this a moment where I should move on and look for other opportunities? And I, I hate using the word low-hanging fruit because that can communicate the wrong thing, that we're just looking for the path of least resistance. That's not our mission. But at the same time, if we keep running our heads into a brick wall, it may be that we've, that we've run into a Romans 1 kind of situation. Romans 1 talks about how those who suppress the knowledge of the truth, after some point of time, it says God gives them over to a debased mind. He basically takes his hands off and says, I'm going to let you pursue your sin. I'm going to leave you to your blindness and let you keep worshiping the creation, and you're going to reap the, the consequences of your own sin. If we are trying to convert, and we understand conversion is the Holy Spirit's work, but if we're trying to convert someone that God has given over, we're, we're sort of trying to accomplish an impossible task. Um, the danger of thinking this way, and I want to set that out, that is a situation. The danger is we don't know who it is that's been fully given over. If you and I lived in the first century, if we were part of the early church in Jerusalem, we probably would have said Saul of Tarsus has been given over. Saul of Tarsus is blind. There's no way that he's ever going to believe until God knocked him off his donkey and opened his eyes and made him an apostle. Okay, so we should be slow to, to decide for ourselves that person has been given over, and there's no point in praying for them. I, I think that at the point we decide to walk away, it's okay to stop evangelizing. I think the wife can, can stop um, telling her husband that Jesus is Lord, you're a sinner, and you must repent and believe or you'll go to hell. Mm -hmm. I think at some point she can stop saying that, but at no point can she stop praying for her husband. Right. So I think there's other things we can do. We can live a life that's persuasive. We can pray. So those of you who have prodigal children, for example, you don't have to share the gospel every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. Um, you don't have to call them once a month and share the gospel, but you do have to pray for them. Um, don't ever give up on them. We don't ever stop that sort of evangelistic effort, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that we can't simply call them up and say, how was your week at work? How are the kids doing? Um, what are your plans for the summer? It's okay to have those conversations. It doesn't always have to be explicitly gospel yeah. um, in, in its content. Yeah. But our aim is, and our desire is always that they would be saved. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about maybe um, um, you know, submitting to authorities. That brings up the idea of being an employee. I know this is one area where, for some of you, perhaps your, um, your business is not one that's conducive to sharing the gospel at work. Maybe that's because of the kind of work you do. Maybe it's because your boss has said so, that those are conversations we don't allow here. Um, I've worked in a secular environment. You've worked in a secular environment. You've had jobs in a secular environment. Oh, yeah. we, we've been in some of those contexts. I know we have some people here who may work um, for, for the, the government, or maybe you have in the past. Uh, some of you who've been in the military. I know we have some people who teach in the public school system. Uh, others who work in different, different avenues. Stephen, how, how would you speak to someone who works in an environment that may be restrictive? Because you made a good point that too often, and you're speaking to the heart here, too often our heart cares more about our job than about the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Too often we're more afraid of losing a paycheck than we are of someone's soul going to hell. And that's a, a necessary 
exhortation. And if that's the, the state of our heart, we need to repent of that. So let's say that our heart's in the right place. We are eager to share the gospel. How should we think through sharing the gospel maybe in a, in a, in a business environment where perhaps there's limitations? Yeah, so what does that look like? It, it can be a lot of different ways, but to give some examples, um, when, when your heart is in the place of I want to share, it's you're brainstorming constantly of what does this look like? How do I engage people? Um, it's very dependent on what your job type is, but usually you know, if you have a coworker shoulder to shoulder with, you're going to have opportunities in just conversing over whatever it is. I know when I was employed, it was interesting observation when I was working at the main branch at a local credit union in Topeka, how everybody that was like a, a VP level status or higher, the first hour and a half of their job was going around and talking to people on Monday morning about what they did over the weekend. I mean, that was their job because they care about retention. They care about knowing people. They care about caring for people in their job. And what was interesting, it was like, did I ever mention how the Sunday service was, what the Lord was working on in my heart? Because that's part of my weekend. And I'm not necessarily saying that that has to happen in every conversation, but does it ever come up? Is that, is that my aim to say, oh, I have an opportunity. Somebody wants to talk to me, and it's on the clock, but they're interested in engaging with me right now. Um, is that something that's on my heart and ready to share about? Or um, there's going to be lunch breaks. You know, you're going to be able to say, hey, I'm getting to know somebody personally. Hey, can I take you out to lunch? Just want to see what's going on. Can we take a lunch break together and go out? Or I mean, there's going to be business events that you go to um, and opportunities that come up. And so just, just being eager to look for that is a heart that's evidence um, in, in some of those ways. But I think also there's, there's this idea that we kind of sometimes fall into and presume is that my employer won't want me to, um, so I won't. And I think being willing to press that, to say, where, where is the limitation? Um, if, I'm, if I have a job that speaks in front of, uh, I'm a manager and I speak to a group of 20 people on a weekly basis, they may say, hey, we really don't want you in that context or we, want, we don't want you talking about that. But that doesn't mean they don't want you caring for people and engaging with people on a personal level. So it's just exploring that rather than assuming I need to be completely silent and having a presumption, but say, I want to be exploratory with this and see where, where it is the Lord's giving me a capacity for the gifts I have, uh, whether that looks like inviting them over um, and just caring for them and showing hospitality um, outside of work hours. I know that's something you mentioned too, like it doesn't have to be on the clock hours if that's something that's a strict restriction that your employers talk to you about. Um, but that doesn't mean the heart's not present and trying to explore what are avenues that, in which I can actually seek to engage uh, this community that the Lord's placed me in uh, for his glory. So those yeah, are some I, think, I think sometimes people assume I can't share the gospel at work. And, and I'll often ask them, is that on paper somewhere? Well, I, actually, no. I, it's not actually like officially in any documentation. Has your boss said that to you? Well, not in so many words. So there's often just assumptions and a general understanding, but it's like, well, let's find out where the actual line is, if there is one. And oftentimes people are surprised, you know, I did this, and I expected to get reprimanded, and it was actually affirmed. I guess I can share the gospel at work. So you may have explicit restrictions at work. If so, I, I like your word brainstorm, like find out, well, what can I do? Look for ways, rather than just saying, well, I guess I just have to check my Christianity at the door when I go to work. That's the wrong mentality. Would you add anything? Yeah, well, to that just... Adding on to what Stephen said, I think, you know, when I envision it, I can envision both honoring a boss and, you know, being very evangelistic. 
you're in a conversation at work, maybe there is this, you've already pressed the line and you know you shouldn't cross this line. It's pretty easy to, to share with somebody, hey, you know, I have some real thoughts about that that are very meaningful to me. I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you about it, but I want to honor Pete, yeah. the boss. And so if you'd be interested afterwards, let's, let's go out after work and, you know, have a burger or whatever, and um, we can talk about that. Because I'd love to talk to you about that if you're ever interested. Exactly. So you can do that sort of thing, and then you're showing honor to the boss. And mm -hmm. so again, it's a heart issue, right? Wisdom. Yeah. yeah. And, and like you said, the heart is a disposition, a desire that I want to share the gospel with people, and I'm looking for those opportunities. And if you do that, God's going to give you those opportunities. We talk about open doors all the time. Well, well, it's a closed door. It's a closed door. Well, God's got the keys to all of those doors. Yeah. He can open any of those. So we should be eager prayerful looking for those yeah. at the same time respectful um you know i'll pick on i don't know if jackson's in here or not but he, he teaches history shawnee mission west i think um it's not like jackson can just go into his classroom and say i'm going to throw out all the curriculum and we're going to do a study through the gospel of john for the rest of the semester i mean he, he would lose his job he can't do that he has a job to do he needs to teach the subject matter at the same time there's an opportunity uh, to represent christ at work so what does that look like He's also coaching football. Maybe there's opportunities, you know. Um, so just, just think about that. You don't have to just always jump right over that line, get fired, you know, on the first, first week of your job because you violated rules. Like, okay, let's work within that, but look for opportunities and, and trust that God can use us there. So. Go ahead. I have a few other thoughts. Go for it. Go ahead. We've got time. No, I just... I was thinking, I was t tying together two or three d dots that left out there that I, I would tie together. One, you said earlier about, you know, people giving over, but we don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of when, when I was teaching in the class with you all, um, this issue of, you know, I've said it a few times, I really am not interested in fighting somebody. I mean, maybe it comes off that way, but I'm not interested in arguing with somebody. The reason we're doing what we're doing is we're looking for people who are hungry to speak to. See, and that's how you start figuring out who's been given over, because... 90% of the people might, may have, as far as I know. But when I'm preaching, I was, I was going to look up a verse, I can't remember it, I think it was with Lydia in Acts, where Paul said, no, many in the city have been appointed to eternal life. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, 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 God is doing something here, even though we can't see it, so we need to stay here and preach. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. You may go and let's say, you know, you're in a situation where, just imagine, most of you are never going to preach in a crowd, but let's say you are, and 90 or 95% of the people reject you. You don't know if Saul of Tarsus is standing there. Mm -hmm. And that's the one you're interested in, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm very content with seeing us all of Tarsus come to Christ, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, so I'm willing to risk the 95% ridicule for that one. And that's what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I'm just going, same thing with work. You're looking for these opportunities. And I guess what I'm thinking, this gets to be a little bit more, I guess you'd say the, how do I, I don't even know the word I want to use. I just think, I said it one week too, that I think that Jesus so loves us, and he called us to be his own, his, his kids. And if I were going to take my kids fishing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them catching fish, man. And I'm just so convinced that when we follow Christ and we're obedient and we, we assess our heart and we look all this stuff through, I just can't help but God's going to put us in places where we're going to see fruit fall off a tree. I just, I just can't, I can't even envision, uh, you know, I do that with my own kids and I'm this sinful, finite man, good grief. So if we have a heart for that, even as a church, we should just expect to see fruit. We should expect things to happen in Lawrence, Kansas. Mm -hmm. Just expect it. And so let's go for it, right? Last time I took my kids fishing, one of my daughters said, thanks for taking us casting, Dad. Because <laughs> we didn't catch she any fish. She probably would, huh? She's witty, isn't she? We didn't catch any fish that day. 
<clears throat> Usually we do, but. I think it is, it is important to, to evaluate the heart. I can't know, I, I can ask the Lord to help evaluate my heart, but I can't know the hearts out there. And so that's why we throw the seed yeah. and let the Lord deal with the soil. I mean, it's, yep. it's going right. to be up to him. But, yeah. but I want to be eager to say, I'm going to cast the seed. And it's interesting in all the situations that have come up about declining um, to share the gospel. There's, there seems to be in those texts information that's communicated that there's something being rejected. So it's not that there's, there's no knowledge of whether the gospel's out there. It's like, no, the, they know. They don't need new information, but God needs to work. And that's where I thought it was really good you brought up prayer. Like, I know my heart towards somebody evidences itself through prayer. Like, how, is, are they in my prayers at all? Do I, do I actually long for the Lord to do something in their life? Or especially those long-term relationships, like family yep. relationships. Yep. So just thinking through that, like, they should be included and eager, and that will, that will manifest itself in your yeah. prayer life. Yeah, so wisdom matters. We want to be discerning. There's also a sense in which the sharing of the gospel is to be indiscriminate, in the sense that we get the seed out of the bag, and we scatter it, and we let the Lord, like you said, sort out the soils. You know, I had a guy last night I was talking to, um, was buying something used from a guy I met up at his house, to, and we started talking. We talked forever. This guy was super talkative, and Multiple times I tried to turn the conversation and get to talking about the Lord. And it was like he grabbed my hand before I could get it out of the bag. It's like, nope, we're not going there. Like he just would not, would not let the, the conversation turn towards anything that had to do yeah. with the Lord. It was like, okay, so at the very end, I invited him to church and left. Yeah. I never got to share the gospel with the guy. I wanted to. He just wouldn't let it happen. It's like, okay. And that's um, faithful. It's evident because your heart was, in your mind was thinking that way, right? It's like, yeah. there's a desire here, but I'm not yeah. in charge of the results. But I, I, your, your attitude and your desire is eager to have that opportunity. So another question along the lines of, of just strategy, um, sharing the gospel with people. <clears throat> there's sort of different um, approaches to that. Some people are really big fans of what you might call friendship evangelism. So maybe there's a new guy at work. Maybe there is a new kid in your class. Um, you know, a new kid in, in your dorm or whatever, a new neighbor, and you think, okay, I need to build a relationship with this person. I need to get to know them. They need to get to know me. We need to establish some level of trust so that I can share the gospel with them. You might call that friendship evangelism. And there's a different mentality that's more so cold turkey. I can sit next to someone on a plane. I can knock on a door. I can talk to the, the person at Walmart who's checking my receipt, whatever it may be, and I'm sharing the gospel. As you, you give me 30 seconds, we'll get into it. Um, would you say that cold turkey evangelism is better and more biblical, or friendship evangelism is better and more biblical? I'll start with Stephen this time, then go to Dan. I started the last one. No, uh, I, I wouldn't use the word better um, because I, I think you can see both. I think you can see both in Scripture in different ways, but I think there's pitfalls probably to both. Um, I think you can think of, you know, maybe you've met them or you've, you've had this tendency of like, okay, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to force myself to do this and I'm just jumping in the pool and it's freezing cold. I'm going to do this cold turkey evangelism. And it can almost be like heartless. Like I'm performing a work that's empty of the spirit that doesn't seek to glorify God. I'm just doing this because I feel like I'm gritting my teeth and doing it. And that's not something that pleases the Lord if the heart's not there to honor him. On the flip side... How long does it take to make a friend? You know, if you have a coworker and it takes you two years, 
I mean, I think you actually cross a thresh threshold where it's like you're actually devaluing the message you're sharing with them because you're saying, I've waited two years to share something, but it's the most important thing. Is it? We've sat together for 40 hours for two years, and it's not come up once. Um, is it the most important thing? I mean, it just undermines maybe even the message you, you really want to share with them. Mm -hmm. And so just thinking through both of those concepts to say, again, it's, it's not we can critique these forms, but what is the actual heart of the issue? Is, is the heart there? Is it present? Is it eager to share? And yeah, like I'm not going to say you shouldn't build rapport and friendship. I love the things Dan's brought out, even in observations of texts of, no, there's, there's affirmation of people. Like that's a great way to build friendship when you say, man, I really appreciate how hard you work. You know, I'm not, I'm not having to not say something that's true, but I'm seeking to affirm things that are evidences of, their humanity of the way God's made them and actually the purpose with which he's created them. And so just seeking to affirm people, like those are great friendship building things, but I think we ought to be wary of our own hearts that says, I need to wait this long, um, but we also need to be wary of, I just need to go do it. And it's a begrudging obedience that the Lord doesn't delight in. Like he actually wants us to delight and be eager to say, and you're going to have those moments where you're jumping into the deep end and you're just thrown into a conversation, whether on an airplane or you know, if you're in a coffee shop and somebody just overhears something, I mean, there's going to be those moments and you do want to be ready. You want to have a heart that's prepared to say, I'm, I'm ready to jump in um, when those opportunities come, but don't feel like it has to be every single one and trust the Lord leading that. So wh what would you say? Because you, <laughs> uh, and you probably have a Lawrence context too, so no, you're thinking. Fr friendship evangelism or cold turkey, I just wanted to go, yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yes, agreed. <laughs> yes. I like, yes. And I think you did a great job, Stephen. I think there's a lot of context what that means, you know, because you can build friendship. And again, some people are, it's easier for some people than others, but you can build friendships with people pretty stinking quick, you know. In fact, I always think of this little acronym. Um, I don't know if it's helpful to you, but I always think of this, you know, if you're thinking notes or thinking through, I think of the word acronym of FIRE, F-I-R-E. That's what they call acronym, right? Each of those. Mm -hmm. So the first one is family. You ask people about their family. I, you ask people about their interests. Are religious, you ask people about their religious stuff. And that's what you've heard me say. I ask people, do you ever think about spiritual things? That's where mm -hmm. I go there. And then E is evangelism. And I think about that. I ask people questions. I look for those opportunities. In fact, it's funny. This is last week. There were some guys. Um, I was leaving an appointment. I actually had to be somewhere. And so th th these guys were broke down um, on Iowa. And uh, they were stuck in the middle of the road. And so I thought, okay, Lord, I have things to do. But. I'm probably supposed to go there. So I went over there and hooked the guy up and pulled their car. Turned into this conversation. The one guy, I could tell, he had a tattoo. And I just, eh, what's that tattoo mean? You know, and it turned into a conversation about religious stuff. It was really cool. I kind of wondered if that's what it would do. So um, I get talking to the guys. And the one, you can tell the other guy, you know, um, real rough-looking guy. And uh, tells me his name's Noah. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that opened a whole door. Anyway, I ended up by taking these guys to a construction where they were working in a construction site in Lawrence. They're going to be here for two more weeks, but their car was broke down. So I said, oh, I'll take you. I'll just drop you off. And anyway, it turned into them asking me to stop back at their construction site and have dinner with them. And on top of that, the guy ended up by leaving his nice leather jacket in my car. I just noticed it today, so it's a good excuse to go back. But do you think that's not, I mean, that whole thing is just ordained. I mean, the one guy has a tattoo that opens the door to talk about religious stuff, and he talks about God even though he doesn't go to church, and he's not real religious, but he wants to talk about God. The other guy's name's Noah. My mom was real religious. Boom, boom, boom. Here's two guys, and they've literally invited me to say, why don't you come back over here to this condo we're working on, and we'll make you dinner. And I'm like, good grief. 
Praise the Lord. And some guys broken down on a road, right? I mean, like, that's, the whole things are just divine. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so if we're paying attention to that, yeah. right? Yeah, so. yeah I, I, I want to underscore what Stephen said. If you wait an excessive amount of time, you've basically communicated to people either A, this message isn't that important, yeah. or B, it is, but I don't really care that much about you. Um, I, probably, you know, we all have different experiences that stick with us, that shape our view of things. For me, it was here in Lawrence, um, two Mormons came by my house, and we talked for an extended period of time. We were standing in my garage, and I was trying to get him to tell me, like, what do you think I'm missing? Like, I was asking them, the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And they wouldn't come out and say it. Like, they were beating around the bush, trying to say we're, we're kind of on the same team, and we agree on most everything. I'm like, but you're evangelizing me, like, you're trying to convert me, so you think I'm missing something. What is it? And they just wouldn't give me a direct answer, just kind of their, their deal. Um, and I told him, I was like, guys, I feel like you don't actually care about me. You don't love me at all. You're just trying to put notches on your belt because these are good works that'll get you into heaven, but you don't actually care about my destiny. If you did, you would tell me what you think I'm missing. And I do love you enough to tell you what I think you're missing. Boom. And got to share the gospel with them. The older guy was really annoyed by all that, but the younger guy, the like the, you know, they always have the, the trainee. He was like, you're right. I'm sorry. Forgive us for not being more direct. And he was like kind of shaken by it. Um, and I say, say that not to, to champion you know, that, that tactic or whatever, but it was striking to me how often have I not really loved people enough to actually share with them. So, yeah. so cold turkey, if you do the cold turkey thing, rather than it being this, I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to, I don't care about you, but I'm doing my job today, yeah. there needs to be a clear <clears throat> heart of love for that person. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the best kinds of friendship evangelism is when you share the gospel with someone and they say no, and then you keep loving them and build a friendship with them anyway. Mm-hmm. And then you have the opportunity to, maybe in a year, maybe sure. in two years, when their mom gets cancer, when they lose their job, when some crisis happens, you know who they're going to come talk to? They're going to come talk to you because you know God, you have hope, you have answers. They didn't want to hear it before. Mm-hmm. You shared with them right from jump, but they know that you love them because even when, you didn't, even when they didn't come to your church, even when they didn't convert to your religion, you kept loving them. That builds trust and opens up, I think, long-term opportunities. Yeah. So, so That's a great yes, point. so That's cold great. turkey or friendship, yes. Yeah. We want to do both. If you can build a friendship, do it. If you can share the gospel in the first five minutes, yeah. do it. But don't wait two years. Don't wait nine months you know, to share the gospel with someone. Look for the first possible opening and do it, and then keep loving them. And if it's someone you have regular interaction with, build, build a relationship. Yeah, yeah I, you've, hit, you've hit it. Um, yeah, you, you hit it out of the park with that, really, because... Yeah, we have to be careful. I've heard, it, I've heard it on a number of levels. I like your idea, J.D., like up front. You know, I, I use the word witness with you all because I really do think we can share Christ more with people. Even though you can't fully get into the full gospel proclamation, you can easily tell people, hey, I'm a Christian, and this is what I believe, and this is what's the most important thing in my life. That's an easy thing to say to people. If you start thinking this way, you can say that in 30, 45, 60, 90 seconds. I know that sounds crazy, but like I say that to people a lot. And then you see where that takes you if it opens the door, if it doesn't open the door. But if you did that with people on the front end, because the danger I think that I've seen is that people will build a friendship and now they're afraid to share this most important thing because they don't want to risk the friendship. Mm-hmm. But if you were up front in the first place in honesty with them where you're coming from, you can still build that friendship. Yeah. And then you find out if that friendship is genuine because they've already heard where you're at, but there'll still be a friendship. I mean, I think that's... Yep. 
And then the second thing I was going to say is that this, is, this goes back to something we talked about earlier about witnessing with our life and that sort of thing. We didn't talk specifically that way. But, but you know, uh, there was a time uh, my wife and I were in California going to a seminary. Our neighbors were Mormons. And they were as good a neighbors as you could ever want. Mm-hmm. They were the nicest, greatest people. And they were lost, right? Deeply lost, worshiping something other than God. And so being nice isn't something more, right? We can't get away from the proclamation of the gospel and being witnesses. And so, yep. so you can get caught. That's what I'm getting. You can get caught in this vortex of, oh, I just want to be a good person. I want them to like me, and I'm a good neighbor. Okay, that's great. Yeah. But, I think another, we'll have to close with this, another yeah. assumption that bleeds in, we think we have to earn the right to share the gospel. You don't have to earn the right to share the gospel with anyone. Jesus Christ has all authority. In the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been under heaven, been given to me. Go and make disciples. So all the permission you need has already been granted to you by Jesus Christ, who has all authority. So you don't need anyone's permission. You don't have to earn the right to share the gospel. We get that from Christ. So just keep that in mind. Go out and be bold. Love people. Build relationships. Share the gospel. Um, Trust God with the results. And if doors are closed, that's okay. Um, And hopefully this has been helpful. We may do this again. I've got a couple more Uh, points we didn't get to. Um, We'll be back here in 15 minutes for worship. I hope this has been helpful to you. God bless you guys. We'll see you back in a few.